Hey, it's Grant. Before the show starts today, I want to tell you about Hangover Destroyer. Hangover Destroyer is the only all-natural product medically proven to prevent a hangover. If you like to drink at night and be able to think in the morning, one shot of Hangover Destroyer lets you have all the fun and no side effects. Go to Hangover Destroyer's website, that's hdestroyer.com, write happy hour in the coupon code, and get 30% off your order of Hangover Destroyer and seize the dawn. Happy Hour again from Uptown New Orleans. Hello, I'm Grant Morris. Happy Hour is part of the family of shows on the podcast network. It's NewOrleans.com, brought to us today by Petite Pet Care. If you're going out of town, you're very lucky, or you have a schedule that keeps you away from home. The folks at Petite Pet Care understand that some pets are fine going to a kennel or a doggy daycare center. If they're a dog, not so much if they're an iguana, but others prefer the comfort of their own home. For loving care, when you're not there, Petite Pet Care can take care of you. Find them at PetitePetCare.com. When you walk into a bar in New Orleans, and you pull up a bar stool, you never know who's going to be sitting on either side of you. What you do know is no matter what they look like, what they're wearing, whether they just got out of a limo or just got out of jail, they're going to be happy to talk to you because that's New Orleans and this is Happy Hour, a cocktail-fueled 60 minutes of random conversation with folks who have nothing in common. Other than we're all New Orleanians in a bar, in this case we're at Wayfair on Ferret Street, which is a bar and a restaurant where they put fine dining into a sandwich and that is not just some kind of bullshit slogan, yes, is it, it Andrew? Is. Oh, it is. God damn it. No, it's not. I thought it wasn't. No, it's not. Chef Kevin White was a chef with Mario Battaglia in New York before he moved here to New Orleans to open Wayfair and decided to put all this fine dining training into making sandwiches. I'm not making any of this up, by the way. This is all true. And he cures his own meat behind that glass there in what looks like a recording studio, but it's actually a meat studio. And, and he makes over 35,000, uh, is it 35,000 or just 35? I think it's 35. 35 different types of mayonnaise. <laughs> they, they, make their own, they make their own bread here. The sandwiches are fucking awesome. I'm serious. Yeah. I know you, you think, what could you do with a sandwich, yeah. right? But that's the, that's the question. question. Yeah. That is the question I mean, and the answers. Yeah. And when you try it, you're going to be absolutely amazed. All also, right. they have a, like about 15-hour happy hour every day here. How long is it really? Like five hours or something crazy? Three. Five-hour happy hour? No, it's three. From four to seven. The, the drinks are awesome and the food is awesome as well. So come check it out. My special guest sitting around the table here at Wayfair today, uh, Marie Lovejoy. Hello, Marie. Hi. Hi. Russell Blanchett. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you, Russell? Wonderful. Douglas Engel is taking photos. Just gave us a pumpkin. Thank you very much. And Jonathan Freilich is here as well, who's yes. our music guest today. Hello, hello. Jonathan. Welcome hello, back. Hello. Okay, now we bought these super hello. cheap microphones on Amazon.com, okay. so you have to talk right into them. Let me tell you a little yeah, bit about Marie Lovejoy. What would you like to know about her? Anything? Everything. Andrew Duhon is the person who just said everything, <laughs> who's my sidekick, partner, colleague, and sometimes even shows up. Sometimes, just like you. Mm -hmm. Where were you the other week? I was, <laughs> I I was away, and where were you the other week? Yeah, I was gone. Gone, yeah, see? Marie Lovejoy is the executive director of the Foundation for Entertainment, Development, and Education. Well, that about covers it, doesn't it? What else is there besides that? That's all you need. That's all you need is entertainment, development, and education. Yeah, you can go you a really throw long booze, way with those. You could throw booze and sex in there, and then you'd have everything. I think those are implied. Oh, weed. It's implied. Okay. This organization is the non-profit arm of Gambit Weekly magazine. I was not expecting to read that, which produces the Big Easy Awards, 
So that's what you do. You produce the Big Easy Awards. Yes. Once a year. Yes. That's a full-time gig. Uh, well, we produce the um, the Big Easy Theater Awards, Big Easy Music Awards, and also the Classical Arts Awards. Oh. And we have a wine tasting coming up in October, the Reds, Whites, and the Blues um, at Pavilion of Two Sisters in City Park. And all of these actually sort of serve not only to support the community and recognize artists in the community, but they are also, in essence, fundraisers um, for our foundation. We give away grants to educational projects uh, yeah, in the performing okay. arts locally. So. Okay, well, thanks for joining us, Marie. That's been happy sure. hour today. It's been a great show, <laughs> don't you think? <laughs> That's what you do. Also, it says here that uh, you moved here in 2007, and before that, you spent a much more interesting decade traveling around the country working at music and renaissance festivals as a face painter, a henna artist, and a hair braider. Yes. Wow. In fact, I was just braiding some hair um, few days ago on the other side of the Mississippi up in Minneapolis. I just got back yesterday. Why are you looking at your arm? Uh, well, as if, there was arm? A, as if there was a watch there, which oh. there's not. I there's just might, bracelets I because you might I'm a hippie hair. from Renaissance festivals. Oh, I thought you might have had hair long enough on your arm to braid it or something like that. I'm working on it. We all have to have ambitions. A hair, bra- <laughs> a hair braider doesn't seem like much of a uh, difficult task. I mean, like an eight-year-old kid can brave here. Well, you've got people's <laughs> energy shooting out of their head at you all day long. And so Who it's a, a, I do as a hair you braider. Oh. So there's this sort of counsel-y thing that happens, you know. It's a, Is there, really? Yeah. It's a moment to just sit and, uh, and do something for yourself and listen. Which is actually the the other thing that you're going to get to on that bio there is the um, the Center for Digital Storytelling Workshop, which is coming up in two weeks, October 15th, 16th, and 17th. And that is really where my heart is. Um, shall I get to that now then, or shall sure. we make you suffer and talk more about hair braiding? No, let's get to it now. Okay. Uh, where, do I, where was I up to? Maria is also a storyteller. <laughs> she co-moderates a local audio producers group called The Listening Lounge, and has worked extensively as a facilitator with the Center for Digital Storytelling, based out of Berkeley, California. Yeah. Well, what is that? Um, so what we do is, um, it's a workshop, it's a group facilitated process, wherein participants come and... Um, Have the hair braided. No, 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 that's a totally separate thing. I'm a That'd be cool, though, wouldn't it, if you could get your hair braided while you're telling a story, like well, the moth Well, we offer many different services, but at this one, we focus mainly on listening to Perhaps I should whatever concentrate on that. Is that what you're getting at? people okay. have to say. <laughs> okay, I'll listen to you. What <laughs> a, so yes. So it's um, so uh, so basically we sit around in a we have a story circle and everybody gets the floor for about 15 minutes or so, and um, we say, well, what story do you want to tell? And then we listen, and everyone's instructed to give feedback in such a way that we ask questions, and so we'll say things like, you know, I. The, that part where you talked about uh, this thing right here, like that, that like really struck me. Tell me more that, about that. That used to be called group therapy, <coughs> didn't it, Jonathan? I think. In your memory? Yeah, but I think that was just kind of a '50s to '70s. Deal. Was it group yeah, therapy? What's the difference between sitting around a store in a circle telling a story and then everyone picks it to pieces? And said, well, yeah. when I you said that thing about after that, revi- what I meant is after that, it was a revival. Revival meetings. No, it was a revival of a group oh, therapy. Of group therapy, yeah, and, in the now 70s, and now, now it's just all in revival phase. And it's called what's it called? Digital storytelling. Digital storytelling. No, I think I think more I think more to the point is so the end result of this is that uh, each participant creates a little three to five minute video, which is their wow. voice with their story and some photographs that are attached to it. And so I think one of the coolest things about it is that 
instead of the media telling our stories for us the way it has been since the dawn of media, this puts the story back to the storyteller, to the person that it's about. There's a lot of storytelling going on these days. It seems to be like a new fad. Everyone wants to tell the story. I think it's important that we listen to each other. There's the radio, and there's a storytelling thing here. What's that called? Bring Your Own? Bring Your Own. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a a great renaissance of it happening all over the country. There is. Mm. There is. And another storyteller is Russell Blanchard, who's sitting right next to you on your left. Hi, Russell. Hey, how you guys doing? I tell you, but Russell is a storyteller who tells stories through movies. He's an independent filmmaker based in New Orleans who's produced and directed over 15 narrative short films that have played at festivals in Los Angeles, Shanghai, New Orleans, and Hawaii. And Hawaii is spelt with a apostrophe between the two, I, two last eyes. Why is that? Did you write that? Yeah, that's actually the proper way to spell Hawaii. It's called the no Okina, so it's... Uh, it's actually Hawaii, so you actually pause between the eyes. That's the proper way to say it. What does it mean? Um, what does the Okina mean? What? It's just part of the Hawaiian alphabet, as uh, kind of like our commas. Right. It's called an Okina, not, a, not an apostrophe. Yeah, so what does Hawaii mean? Hawaii? Yeah. Um, it's like way of the water. Is it? Yeah. It's the way of the water. Okay. Yeah. So you worked in, uh, it says here, in multiple production roles on ABC's Lost, and at PBS Way of the Water. <laughs> yeah. So you lived in uh, Way of the Water for some time. Yeah, I was out there for uh, three years. I went to school there yeah. and uh, had a great time. Kind of dove into a lot of different filmmaking, worked at PBS Hawaii, yeah. which is the only television studio. Hawaii, not Hawaii. Yeah. Don't mind. When in Rome. What <laughs> <laughs> Roma. <laughs> we should it? be calling Roma, it. yes. So what did you, you move from here to Hawaii? Hawaii. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Why the hell would anyone ever come back? <laughs> it's an interesting question. Uh, actually, my, one of my best friends was getting married and my lease was up. And my job on Lost was on hiatus because of the writer strike. So it was just kind of a perfect storm that, uh, well, let me go back to New Orleans for a little bit, be in this wedding and kind of visit never, some family. Never go back to Hawaii. Yeah, We're gonna, I'm going to ask back. you about Lost in a minute because I'm sure everybody's got a story, a question about that. Let me just continue here. It says... Um, that your latest project is called The Lot, a narrative short film based on the true story of a man who tried to turn a blighted lot into a park for kids and failed. So it's an uplifting little Hollywood movie with a happy ending. Yeah, Russell's goal is to use the film to help the community complete the park and raise awareness about community outreach. Cool. And if you've had enough of the show already and you don't want to listen to it anymore, you can still find out about this by going to thelotfilm.com. Okay. That's where, an interesting idea. Where was the lot? The it's in Algiers Point. Oh, cool. Yeah. It's a local thing. Yep, yep. Okay. Right near Berman School, right next to Berman School in Algiers. Is it, uh, is it a spoiler alert or something, but can I ask you why it failed? Um, it really was, got shot. It was a lot of, no, the combination of uh, bureaucratic red tape mm-hmm. that... Uh, Don't worry about the flies, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you get used to it. The guy who he... He put it together, and the city base, he used the wrong type of fence boards. You know, the fence boards you buy at Home Depot that have the little dog ears? Yeah. He went and spent his own... six foot. Six foot. Six foot cedar. Yep, six foot cedar. He went and spent his own money and uh, built this fence and built a fence around the park. And he he didn't own the lot. He got permission from the landowner to actually build the fence and to use it to teach the kids in the neighborhood how to do carpentry work and build little playhouses. And the idea was at the end of the day, they would be able to take the playhouses back home and have their own little clubhouse that they actually learned real-life skills building. So he got this up and running with his own dollars, and it turned out the HDLC, the Historic District Landmarks Commission of New Orleans, um, started putting cease and desist on his fence 
because he didn't use the white picketed mm. fence posts that are supposed to be in historic, since it's a historic district, you have to use the historic fence boards. Mm. So he stopped when they told him to stop and he went down to the board and he pled his case about why he thought the project should continue. And they basically gave him, uh, we'll said, we'll let you know in 90 days. So Which board is this? The HDLC oh, board okay. down at City Hall. Right. And they basically stewed on it for a long time. And what happened was, in the meantime, the lot got overgrown again. Plants just took it over. He let all the parents take the half-finished playhouses home, so all the playhouses were gone. And then someone came and stole all the fence boards. Mm. So <laughs> three months later, he gets a letter in the mail that says, you can continue, but you have to have private park insurance, which runs around 40 grand a year. Mm. And you need to get an architect to draw proper plans for the fence, use the right fence boards. For a fence. For a fence. So his, his kind of spirit was broken, and this was seven years ago. And he just didn't really have the, the heart to, to take it all on or the money. So that was kind of the end of the project. How did you find him, actually? Um, block away from my house. He runs ah. a little coffee shop called Black Star across from the abandoned lot. And we were in there. It's really slow. Me and him were just talking one day. He told me this story. He's that super cool-looking black dude. Yes, sir. Yeah, he's, he's like a movie star-looking <laughs> guy himself, that guy. Yeah, he's pretty what's neat. His, what's his name? Uh, his name's Bakir. Yeah. Is he the star of the thing? Because he's one good-looking guy. No, no. He's just who it's based on. Uh, oh, it's just based on. So you made a movie based on that. We, yeah, we made okay. a narrative movie based on that idea. So you've made the movie. We, we've shot it. It's oh. in post-production. Okay. Mm. Hey, well, listen, have you got a score for it? Because I could help you out. Not yet. We, we need to talk. We know a Jonathan Fraler could, uh, could do the <laughs> score for you. In fact. He's sitting right here. Absolutely. You could do it actually today while we're sitting here. I practically could. Yeah. Jonathan, lean in and talk. And yes, I could. I could. Jonathan Absolutely. is a guitarist and composer who has had an enormous influence on the New Orleans music scene since he showed up here in 1989. Jonathan is the co-founder of the New Orleans Klezma All-Stars, the leader of the 24-piece Naked Orchestra, and he's played with everybody in town from Kermit Ruffins to the Wild Magnolias. Jonathan's live dates include 24 appearances at Jazz Fest. That's unbelievable. How many years has Jazz Fest been going? Like 40, maybe? I don't know. But You've played it over half of the Jazz Fest by now. Uh, yeah, I'm a very lucky man. You are. <laughs> what a great gig. Do you get paid like an outsider, or do you get paid like a local, like 100 bucks? I'm a local. That's sad, isn't it? <laughs> You've played 24 times for them. Do you have an agent or a manager or anything these days? I've gone in and out of that, like yeah. most people have been in the music business for a long time. I mean, these days, you know, the, the, well, there isn't a music business anymore. So back when there was, when we started, the first, you know, n until 1999 or 2000 or so, when it all fell apart, we had, you know, you'd go through agents and managers and recording contracts and rip-offs and the whole great nine yards you've heard about in the disaster of music business. But it was better. But, you know, now, now there's less of that. We just do it on our own. Yeah. Apparently, so it's the new thing. It's better. <laughs> Does anybody... No one has a manager? Andrew, you have a manager, right? Uh, not anymore. You don't? <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. What happened to that? Uh, you know, just parted ways. Wow. Yeah. So... So, so no one's like, that's just the way it goes now. You gotta, yeah. yeah, yeah, we got rid of that. Everyone now has the opportunity to um, uh, market themselves with um, uh, anti-social media. <laughs> now, that's a great term that I, I can't like believe that. that no one else has heard. Have you, have you ever heard that, Marie? Anyone's called it anti-social media? I've heard that before, but I'm, I'm curious like, what y'all are talking about here in terms of like so so you're the you're the artist you're the musicians yeah you've got all that skill do you also have the 
the skills to market because I think about this with myself a lot like I feel like most of my strong points sort of lie on on one side of things and my ability to sell myself or market myself that I I would sort of prefer to find somebody that I could pair myself to right you know who has those skills that doesn't have the ones I have and that we could be really strong together but that would be a preference in my mind but I think uh, the state of matters these days you either develop your own worth or you're not worth anything because to get to the place where you're worth enough that somebody who's going to do it well enough is going to pick you up, so to speak. you got you got to have your own shops in the administration and the business mind. Otherwise, you don't get there, I think. You know? mm-hmm. Or you're, you're undeniably great and something else happens. Mm-hmm. You know? But you can be undeniably great like a lot of people and you, don't, you can spend a lifetime until anyone, you know, no one yeah, finds out yeah, about it. Maybe, yeah. I mean, some. I would think that's uh, a lot of an undeniably great art some undeniably great art gets lucky so to speak and, and jumps on this train where they never had to pay the dues so to speak but uh, but I think I think until then uh, artists are creating things and, and uh, in terms of the musical atmosphere I think you have to uh, you have to shop that around and, and push it in your own way you have to put that hat on even though you don't want to. What sometimes. about the other side of it, where there's all these talented people in business mm. who who love music or, or I don't know. love I mean, you know the various arts and want to be in that business? They don't want to sell insurance. They want to sell music. Well, we're in a period. I mean, it's clear to see that we're in a period. Like even the way we just spoke about it, we're in a period where business is dom- more dominant than uh, observing anything for meaning so even though maria is working very hard on dealing with the meaning of people's stories or you know he's dealing with the same thing in film and we're talking about music now actually as, as she just said there's promoting yourself and whether or not i have to do that and people look now at musicians or artists on the strength of how they promote themselves not the meaning of their artwork and so and, and that's considered a better artist. Your, your, your worth is that way because actually it's related to people's worth as, as, as being very successful business mm-hmm. people. So, that, so I think that, not to, be, not to be negative about it, but those are the situations of our time. And what that means is that we have a great proliferation of stuff that's trying to get out there but doesn't really gain any foothold. I equate it to the Middle Ages. And okay. uh, where there was tons and tons of varieties of things it was hard to tell what they were there was no real way that anything got around the roman empire had fallen apart and uh and we had a proliferation of a great quantity of stuff that was quite unquantifiable and no way for it to really be transmitted or for anything to really gain the major foothold and it took about 300 years of walking around like that i always tell people like we could be doing this for 300 years huh do you do you see uh, do you hold out hope uh, because we can create records and not even, not just like spinning records but it's like our fossil record our, our like little little record in in the the timeline do you feel like this could eventually gain its meaning to enough people or you know do itself justice in the you know in the in the world of listeners and, and that's a good question I, I don't really think so because I, I think one of the things that goes along with this is a certain uh, ignoring of the actual sensory information that's coming in at you. Everyone, once you're trying to always ascertain value, you stop looking at the actual phenomenon itself. Mm-hmm. And everyone seems to be doing that. They're trying to work out a placement for the thing. And the actual phenomenon of the 
of the form or the artwork. I'm really bad at radio because I talk this way, but uh, I believe me, there's a, there's a punchline at the end of this. Okay. Uh, it's funny at the end of this, but anyway. But <laughs> what I'm saying is that is it basically the phenomenon of of music or art or film or something like that is like you know you have a naked experience of it if you watch it from moment to moment. If you don't, if you're worrying about what its significance is, where it came from, what blah blah blah, blah its background story, then that nuance is totally gone. Well, who's I think worried that about that though? The artists or the or the listeners or the people. No, I'm that saying that to... that it's hard to have it's hard to have anything have the traction that Andrew was talking about if we're not looking at the actual phenomenon itself, but we're only looking at its placement within within its significance to society or something like well, that. Well just think about in much more simple terms is that somebody wants to hear good music and they can't find it anymore. Because there's no obvious place to find it. You have to go you have to, you, there's no radio station left that plays great well, music. I, I think I think it has more to do with the scruples of the listener and and what they are and aren't looking for. And uh, I think the the good news about our middle ages, if we want to call it that, is now all those little paupers have an opportunity to record themselves, immortalize the thing. So if we had that from the middle ages, and we'd have all this content, and we could sort through it now, and, and we wouldn't necessarily know the. The, the the way the the culture that was wrapped around it, but we could experience it like you're talking about, just yeah. naked without without. Yeah, but how do we pretense. find it now? Now that we're not in the Middle Ages, now that we have all this recorded stuff. I mean, you, I Jonathan, you've made tons of records. Yeah, I and have. now people are stealing them and streaming them, and no one's buying them. Right, right. You know, I mean, I don't think it's look. When I said the Middle Ages thing, I think it's actually we're still processing stuff from then, and um, that is that has come to light. But we, and it's a it's a massive. And as he said, we can now make tons of stuff, but what it will be or the value of it, I actually don't think we're in an age now where we can sort that out. So you make the stuff, it doesn't really have a kind so much, there's tons of it, we can't really make sense of it. You know, they had the same problem with, um, funnily enough, biology information before Charles Darwin. It worked like, you know, there was tons of data, but no overriding theory, and no one could work out what to make of this. So they just collect more data, more data, more data. That's even what he was doing. And then until they have a theory, like, oh, this is all this. Then everybody goes, aha. They start making things in line with the theory, and people pay attention. But I think just what you said is interesting about sound. You know, there is interesting music everywhere, because one of the things we should have learned from 100 years, the last 100 years, is that all sound is actually interesting. Like I said about the phenomenon, if you actually really listen, you've got a beautiful concert going on all the time, and that's in any individual thing. But if we call it like whether or not it's good blues, whether it's good jazz, whether it's good this, whether it's mm -hmm. good the other thing, then we're in a state of comparison and we miss the whole plot. Nice. You know what though? I'm not a musician, and like I'll tune, I'll tune in to, to OZ say, and that you know this is how I first found you, Andrew. Is mm -hmm. you know I kind of have it on in the background. And then when something like grabs me, pulls me out of whatever it else, whatever else I was doing, and I go, "Who's that?" And I totally did. I googled you. I was like, "Who's that guy?" Oh, look, he's playing over at Carrollton Station. Oh. I'm gonna go check it out. Like that's how I find. It. I'm not. I'm not trying to, to personally. I'm not trying to find the prowess. I'm just trying to find what makes me stop in my tracks and say, "What is that?" I think. I think that's that's the butterfly effect thing that keeps me sane. It's the idea that. <laughs> If I play this song and it's not my best song and it's not earth-shattering or anything, but somebody hears it and it just makes them change their course in mm. hopefully some positive way, then then who knows after that, you yeah. know? But but they might spend eight bucks. Maybe they'll spend. The maybe they'll buy the record. It's fifteen dollars actually. It's fifteen. <laughs> <laughs>
They could buy half the record for it. Talking yeah. of music, why don't we just hear some? Jonathan, your guitar is sitting right here. Why don't we uh, take a listen to something? they let you go how's everything up in heaven I would love to know why did you trade hell for these earthly things why'd you drop your little halo Baby, why'd you drop your wings? Now, have they missed you? Or could you get back in? If I kissed you, oh, would it be a sin? No, you know where's I'm just only human And you are so divine When did you leave heaven? A little angel of mine Nothing to it. You Nothing just, to it. Just move your <laughs> fingers up and down. That looks so like easy when you play it like that. Oh, good. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> when did you? When did you start playing like that? I started playing guitar when I was about. Uh, hmm, let's see. I must have been about 15 years old. I think I, I played cello for a number of years before that. But you started I, off on the chart. I did. I started off when I was about eight or not, eight when I was on. on that cello. must have been strange looking to have a little eight-year-old kid playing. Well, it must have been a big cello. No, they make them in small, uh, small versions. Cello. Yeah, they got two-thirds ah. size and half size, and I, I don't remember about that small ones. You know, that's how they get the kids on the cello. And wait, that was that was in England. In I England. grew up in London. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, oddly enough. What are your, uh, I would say, how many instruments do you play, but I'd rather just, like, what are your top three these days? What do you like to play? What do I play? I, I pretty much just play guitar again. I, oh, I, nice. Although if I'm not playing uh, an iMac, that's what we all do now. So I actually, <laughs> what I do is I play an iMac <laughs> with a lot of software synths on it and make very weird electronic music yeah. um, that sometimes involves instruments, too. But, um, no, I mean, I went through a phase of playing banjo for a while, way back, and then I got rid of that so I could get a different guitar. And uh, I 
played piano. I, I've been playing piano a little recently, mm -hmm. uh, you know, but I don't tell anybody about it because it's terrible. That's <laughs> a but tough town. It's a, a tough town to be a bad piano player in New York. Right, and I know better because <laughs> I, I played a lot of the really good ones, so I stay away. I stay. I stay off of any. Like what? What, what piano players have you played with? Which piano players? Uh, you know, uh, everybody, at, yeah. pretty much, <laughs> pretty much everyone except for Toussaint, you know, like, I know, well, you know, and I, I mean, well, some of the legends were dead, but I used to play with all kinds of people here, like Ed Frank and, and, uh, you know, I even played with Mac a couple times. And Dr. John? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, uh, you know, futzed around with Cleary and, you know, other great New Orleans piano players, you know, that are, that, that are there. Uh, 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 who else? Um, uh, Torque. Uh, you know, really I've gotten to play with a lot of great people in town over the years, you know, and they're so, you know, and as you said, it's a great piano tradition. It's like, it's, it's ominous. Well, what made you want to start playing the piano yourself? And you're like an amazing guitar player. Just well, here's challenge. what happened. No, my, my musical story is weird. I mean, I, I came here... When I came to New Orleans in, in, the, in the late 80s, I immediately got two incredible gigs. I don't know how, but, you know, at that time it was big because Kermit was just going solo for the first time. And he was crazy when he started. I mean, wild man. And I got that gig. I was replacing Leonardo Santelli on an Uptown gig. I, how this works out, I don't really know, but I got to know the right people by accident. I, I, I was a lucky young man. And then after that, I, it was like one thing led to another. After a while, I was studying with a big New Orleans guitar player named Carl LeBlanc, who had played with Sun Ra. I was really into the Sun Ra Orchestra, and all I found he was here, and a number of other things like that. I ended up moving Michael Ray, doing the Avalon. Uh, uh, I was into writing a lot of kind of, um, what would you call it, Exper uh, new, new music or experimental creative music. And basically, um, this ended up where I was running my own orchestra here and a small band doing that kind of thing. And then it got weird. A few years ago, I started to notice that people were seemed to be paying more attention to or, or watching theater the way that they used to watch music. And I, I started, it was like noticing like the energy is shifting. You're not really seeing it. So I thought, what, what applies to this? And I started looking, and I was, I was very interested in the possibility of uh, early Italian opera systems opera buffa and that for taking for making fun of things so i thought i'd write a new orleans opera buffa and i wrote this comedy called uh uh bang the law that went on here and so i was interested i began to interest in comic opera and that and i wrote a couple of operas that drove me out to california to go study music again i went to i just got back from there i was studying composition out there because i got interested in avant-garde opera and a bunch of stuff that led a certain direction but in trying to learn even more music, I started studying piano too, just because there's so much literature on piano and things I, you can I pull out. I don't know where to stop you here. Sorry, stop me there. I'm sorry. I mean, there's so it. many sentences that you just toss off. <laughs> For example, I wrote a couple of operas. Yeah. I got interested in opera. You just can toss off, you can just write an opera like no problem. Pretty much. Nothing to it. <laughs> How it's, would you... It's, Andrew, it's, you're a musician for Christ's sake. Help me It just me takes, out. you know, certain recreational drugs you wake up and there's an opera. <laughs> you know? how, do you, how do you sit down and... I mean, you have an idea. Okay, it's an interesting idea. People are interested in theater again and it's a way to take theater and music and combine yeah, them. Yeah, it was like how do you stick music in front of people if this is where their eyes are going. And how did it work out? Did people love it? Yeah, they loved it. Okay. They were great. They laughed in the right places, you know. Perfect. And we did, and you know, and I, I set it up so I set it up so that I had some actors in there, so that uh, so the, the the audience could relate. The actors would um, somewhat because it, 
when you say opera, for a lot of people, that's a very stuffy, horrible experience, and I don't blame them. I mean, one of the reasons I got into it is because a lot of great compositional masters uh, would be unquestionable and have written only incredible works until they decided to mess with an opera, and then things get a little bit dicey. So I figured if some of the great masters of history can screw up at this, there's a chance for me here. <laughs> So, okay, that's know. a good way of putting it. <laughs> I couldn't do worse than... <laughs> you then bait dot, dot, or, you know, then yeah. whoever, you name it. <laughs> so, so at that point, so you start, you start that way. And then, and then what I did was um, most people, because of the, their aversion to opera and its stuffiness, are, uh, they're kind of... Um, well, it sounds it, elitist. The word opera sounds elitist. Yeah, it? and in fact, it's the opposite. It starts in a very weird way that, it, that actually isn't, isn't that way. The, or, the origins of it are, are actually somewhat, somewhat opposite. Anyway, whatever... It, not to get into the stuffiness of it, what's really funny is that most people, as a result of their feeling about it, haven't actually stood in front of the power of somebody with an unbelievably trained opera voice opening up in front of them, which is an incredibly large and, large and alarming noise. So what I did was set opera singers up to sing that way their parts while actors were talking normally in front of them. Yeah. And then okay. this set up a thing where audiences could but did you write sure the, they were Did you write the story to this thing? Yeah, I had to do the first one because if you tell, if you, I tried to get other people to write the libretto I was talking about, but um, if you tell people that you're writing an opera and you want them to write a libretto, they sort of ask you, well, are you interested also in going to Mars? You know, they <laughs> want to know. Like, they, they think you're crazy, so you sort of end up having to do the first thing yourself. So you wrote the libretto yourself, you wrote the book yourself, I and, wrote the, the, book, and the, the music, music yeah. and did you stage it? Well, I was directing it, but I got three directors, because I did, a, there was each... You're like a renaissance man. Uh, renaissance isn't bad, you know, I, I yeah. don't know, we'll see what happens, uh, you know, um, but it, the, the renaissance is always ongoing, as is the the fall of the aristocracy, you know, it's great, and so, you know, you can just always engage in that, um, but... Uh, so well, talking of yes, yeah, so I'm going to come back to the word Renaissance. <laughs> you have one more sentence. No, no, my one sentence is I love you all. Thank you. Very Thank much. you very much. And good night. <laughs> I want to talk about the Renaissance Fair. Good idea. The Renaissance Festival. Festival. Because we used to have that Renaissance. Do we still have that across the lake once a year? The Renaissance. Yeah, up in thing? Hammond, uh, November yeah. and December, six weeks it's, long. And do you go to it every year? Are you working? I there? do. I've got the first booth inside the front gate on the right. Come hair on, braiding. that's awesome. Hair braiding, A yeah. number one. Yeah. Okay, so how many people get their hair braided as a percentage of people who go to the Renaissance Oh, fair? I don't know. I don't pay that much attention. I just, I just do the best I can and as fast as I can, honestly. Okay. Like, it's all, in a, it's all a timed thing. How, but it's, how uh, long does it take to... I mean... I'm really fast. It's women, mostly? Mostly. Mostly. So you're a very fast hair braider. I thought the whole thing was the sort of the storytelling... Into yeah. communication well, therapy there's aspect. There's a guy from uh, 50, c 50 Cent Films. Oh, I'm going to get this wrong. He says everyone in New Orleans has two jobs and a hustle. <laughs> and I feel like I've got more like three hustles and a job. So, <laughs> you know, what are we talking about here? I got all kinds of hustles going on. But, you know, I think that that's, I think that's part of what, you know, draws a lot of us to New Orleans, too, is that you've got the opportunity to express yourself in many different artistic mediums. So when I walk into the Renaissance thing, festival, is it fair or festival? It depends on where you're at. I okay. think this one... Whatever it is, yeah. here, it's in Hammond. Mm -hmm. And it's got a sort of a semi-permanent home there. It's yep, 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 semi-permanent so location. You, so you find that place and you walk in there, and how much does it cost to get in? It costs quite a bit. It's well, like this one might be 12 bucks. That's it? I don't know, maybe, yeah. Okay, this well, that's cheap. Okay, so then what am I paying to get my hair braided on top of that? 
Um, they start at $15 and go up from there with most of them running between 20 and 40 and they take between 10 and 15 minutes to do. Hmm. <laughs> you could get a $40 hair braiding job. Or more. Or more. <laughs> what would you get for 40 bucks that you wouldn't get for uh, 15? Um, more braids, fewer more braids. It's all time based. So, yeah. so I get to hang out with you more. See, that's what you're really buying. Is there some counseling involved here? There's some counseling, isn't there? There might be. Mm. You know, I learn a lot from the people that sit down in my chair. Mm. Like, I'm always, I'm always shocked at, um, I mean, again, like the storytelling thing, like wherever I am, no matter what I'm doing, whether or not I'm on stage as an actor or, you know, trying to facilitate a digital storytelling workshop or braiding somebody's hair. Like, for me, it's all about, like, who are you? Where'd mm. you come from? Tell me about yourself. What are you doing at a Renaissance fair? What am I doing at a renaissance? The well, first I thing was, I was saying that was that's, that's what you would ask them. Yeah. yeah. And the very first thing you want to do when you get there is get your hair braided. Well, maybe right in the front I gate. Great. I would think I would, I would get a drink, maybe. Maybe. Or, or, or and that and giant, braid. that giant turkey leg. Well, listen, you can't swing a dead cat without hitting a bar at the Renaissance Festival. Mm. So don't worry no, about if that. You're, if you're the first thing right in the gate there. And the first thing right in the gate, yeah. So it you're gets you in costume right away, helps get you in spirit. And ah, people in okay. Louisiana really get that. Like in other sh- at other shows, you kind of have to sort of warm them up to it a little mm-hmm. bit. Louisiana, they're like, they're ready to roll right away. Costumes, There's heck yeah. a lot of strange people walk around that Renaissance Festival who think they're pirates. So my theory <laughs> you that? on this is that the Renaissance Festival, much like Mardi Gras, allows you to slip into a different skin and that there are a lot of people who have trouble socially (laughs) in the world and when you put on a little bit of a different persona, it's like masking. Like in some ways a mask hides who you are, Mm -hmm. but in other ways it actually reveals your true self. That's a great feeling. People in other cities don't necessarily know how great it is to put on a costume it seems like a weird thing to do if you don't do it if you haven't been here and you don't know what it is it's completely liberating in a way that perhaps nothing is maybe acting on stage might be like that i suppose is it yeah Hmm. yeah totally um i think that uh i think that you know being able to explore parts of yourself that maybe you're afraid people will laugh at if it's your real life or, Hmm. or yourself i think that there's a real power in that so people sit down uh, in a, on a stool or a chair, or what have you got out there on the dirt? Yeah, cube. A cube? Dirt. Yeah. Okay. And <laughs> what's the first thing they say normally? I want it. I want this one. <laughs> <laughs> I want number three. No, I mean, I mean, my whole goal is to, uh, and I do the same thing with face painting. Like, my whole goal is to, like, you know, I want you, I want you to not look better than you did when you sat down but I want I want to like kind of unlock a little bit of a key to some part of yourself and then like once you stand up and you walk out of the booth then you can go and find out who that person is hmm. what would you call that therapist or so you keep going back to this word therapy and I refute that word <laughs> okay well what, what would you call it um it's got to have a name right I'm a door opener a door opener to mm-hmm. You're the gatekeeper. I got the key. Or the yeah. key oh, you master. have a key. Is that a key around your neck? It is. It's a key with cool. wings. Well, a key with wings. That is cool. Where is that from? Um, a guy named Forrest has a, uh, an art shop called Arts Kinetic here in town. And uh, it's a nautical watch part. It's a little disc, and it's got the days of the month on it. 
and then there's a key hanging inside in these little wings. That's very cool. So you spent 10 years doing this, driving full around. Full time. Full time, 10 mm-hmm. years as a gypsy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you go to these things. Do you ever think about this, you guys? You, I mean, I've been to that Renaissance Fair. It's really great, actually. I especially love those giant falcons and things they have there. Oh, they, yeah, that's actually a historical thing, too. You is know? it? Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Anyway, but I often think about that when I walk around there. And you see these people that these people are like a village that they live together and that after you're gone they stay there they sleep there they've got the tent there yeah and then when the show is over we all pack up hitch up and drive to another show so you're hanging out with these same people like a it's like a circus family a little bit yeah and what's it like living like that i mean you have no home you have no apartment to go back to it is a trade-off um, there are a lot of trade-offs that, that you make to be in one town and have a 40-hour-a-week job. And it's a completely different set of trade-offs when you're working two days a week and traveling the country and living in a tent. Well, the, the latter, living in a tent and traveling around the country sounds better to me, isn't it? Trade-off. In a lot of ways. What? It's, it's why I did it for 10 years yeah. and, and why I now just do it four months out of the year and I'm in New Orleans the remaining eight. And I feel very fortunate to be well, able to. That's a to cool way to do it. Do you get do you get too old for it? Do you get burned out on it, or you just get sick of it, or what? In the same way that you can get sick of going to a forty-hour-a-week job, sure. Well, I can know how you can get sick of that. We all know how you can get sick of that. But, but that what? Why would you give? Why did you give up being a gypsy? Right? Um, when I came to New Orleans, I found that it was possible to get more deeply involved in a different level of community, and um, to to involve myself in some some more social justice programs and to take art classes and to... So you lived all over the country. You've, you've traveled all over the country. Yes. And it wasn't until you got here that you thought you could really be yourself. No, I wouldn't say that. I'd say that uh, it allowed me to explore another aspect of life that was difficult to explore as long as I was traveling. Where would you live if you didn't live here? What's next? If I could do anything, I think I would still want to travel. Like, I think I just want to go all over the world and meet people and listen to their stories. That's what I would do. You go to Hawaii? I could. I could. I could connect you with some people out there. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's go. Let's go, Russell. Yeah, we got to go. See you. I got a mass promotional email today from Jet Setter, which I thought was kind of clever. It was the only, it's the only junk mail that I've ever gotten that made me smile because the, the title of the email was just Hawaii Nut. <laughs> uh, that was great. Is it's it a good. cheap ticket it's to good. Hawaii? I guess it is. Did yeah, you, I didn't let's open go. It. You didn't no. open it. No. Andrew, we have to hear, make you play a song now. Let's talk. Let's talk more about Lost. Lost. We haven't got onto Lost no. yet. No. Let's come back and talk about Lost right. after you play. Well, no, let's do it now. Otherwise, we're gonna take it out of the, the bag and everything. Okay. Well, while you're taking it out of the bag, we'll start the conversation about Lost. Good. Thank you. Thanks and for then remembering we'll, we'll that. Leave it on a cliffhanger. Okay. We'll all right. So. Russell, tell us how you got. You were living in Hawaii. Yeah, it was actually. And they shot. Do they shoot Lost there? Yeah, they shot all six seasons there. Um, I was actually going to film school there. That's why I moved out there from New Orleans, and uh, got an opportunity to take an internship on season three. And I had actually never even watched the show, so started working and then uh, decided to binge watch and catch up. (laughs) So it was pretty interesting uh, trying to unravel a big puzzle, but. uh, did they know what was going to happen? Uh, no. 
So they were just a couple of weeks you, ahead. You would get a script from Los Angeles. We were about four to five weeks ahead of the show and uh, very secretive, but the show writers were in L.A., so you, you found out when you got the script. Why did they shoot it in Hawaii? Because it was like an island. Yeah, it was an island. They shot the pilot out there because that's where the plane crash supposedly happened, uh, on just, just on an island. Wait, they shot the pilot? I didn't see that. Oh, they shot the plane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why it crashed. Who shot the pilot? They didn't shoot the deputy. <laughs> so, they, so they shot, but they shot the pilot there, but they could have moved it to LA anytime. But I guess they had it all set up out there. Yeah, they kind of had it set up out there. So it was know? kind of like here when they started coming here to make films. Suddenly, everybody had to learn to be in the film business, and we started having all these crews. Is that what happened in Hawaii too? Um, not to the extent here. Hawaii doesn't have a big tax credit like we do here. Um, it's weird with Hawaii. The, their film industry could support like one big TV show or one big film. So I don't know if there was you right. know backdoor deals or whatever happened, but Lost just ended up catching wildfire, and there was these other couple shows. One called Hawaii, which was this cop show that just failed miserably, and um, Lost just stuck. So I think it's kind of you know it's almost like a, a sports, a superstition type thing. They had season one there, they had monster ratings. So why mess up a good thing? Okay, what's the cliffhanger, Andrew? Next week on Lost. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what are you going to play? I've never actually seen an episode, I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> well, well, when when you have about four free weeks. Just yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, it's that. What, what's the other one? Uh, uh, the latest one is, uh, I don't know. Breaking yeah. Bad is the one that yes, everybody binge watches that, that thing. And then <laughs> The Wire, yeah, I haven't. Now, you're way behind if you haven't even watched The Wire. Have I you know. seen Treme? Um, just a couple of episodes. Yeah, me too. I, I feel like a pariah for mentioning I haven't watched The Wire, so I'm with you. Yeah. The Wire is the best thing ever made on television, apparently. I've never seen one minute of it, either. I feel Have like you seen it, we just, we just need to get the pot and, pot and some pizza, and, you know, okay. let's, let's you do know it. What I you know where to get it. I watch my TV at Lost Love Lounge on Sunday nights. Uh-huh. I find it's much better to, I feel like way in less groups. of a loser if I'm sitting <laughs> in a room full of, with my neighbors yeah. all yelling at the TV at the same time. That's good. What, what are you it? watching? Um, Walking game. Dead and it's Saints games and uh, Game of Thrones when it comes back mm-hmm. on. So there's like a regular Sunday night TV watching hang. Yeah, there is. I, I, had, I just kind of fell into it, but idea. it's uh, pretty damn funny. Everybody knows your name. Yeah. You, know? you go to that as well, Jonathan? Yeah, I was going to it before I left, you know, because they, they were showing Treme over there, which actually yeah. I couldn't really watch because it gave me that kind of feeling of nausea that I had after the actual storm. But uh, a lot of people think that. But, uh, but, uh, but um, you know, I like Jeff Duville and, and his little project over did you, there. So. Hey, did you get any, jo- any work on Treme? John, you working on that? No, and it was very funny. A lot of people said to me, "I said, oh, you only don't like it because you, you know, you have, you're going to be on there." And I said, "I'll bet you I won't be on there." And As a character? No, they didn't put. They me didn't on. put. In you fact, in, in fact, I got put out of two gigs though because they were going to shoot other ah. people on my gig. So I actually lost money on Tremé. Okay, you're the only musician <laughs> in New Orleans who lost money on Tremé. Yeah, I lost money on Tremé. Exactly. That's That's <laughs> Andrew, you didn't work on Tremé either, did you? Nope. Okay. What are you playing here today? I play a new song. Yes. I got quotes from Bibbs, share from California. Every time I leave a land, I always take a little land along. 
Still up to south with a handful of river rocks So when I leave a foreign land Always take a little land along All my life, all day long I've been picking up stones All my time I travel around When it comes to settling down What will I build my foundation on? Oh, well, I've been picking up stones Met a girl from up north Like nobody I met before She's 20 karat gold Lately I've been wondering though As I've been picking up these stones Is this my way of slowing myself down? No, uh, you know, I, I just moved into it, and like the furniture's in there, but I don't know where it goes yet. It's one of those, you know. So we'll, that's yeah. gonna be a great song. Thanks. Do you think, guys? Yeah, oh yeah, I good like it. stuff. Oh, yeah. Good stuff. Thanks, y'all. What do you think, Marie? Is the Andrews fan? I love Andrews music. In fact, we got to <laughs> see each other a couple of times uh, over the summer during during travels. Show no, she came out to a show in Denver. How about that? Wow. Wow. Yeah, and Steamboat. That's right. Yeah. Steamboat. Wow. Steamboat Springs. Yeah. Yeah, what were you doing out, out there on the road? You Camping saw? and going to hot springs. I'd call you my biggest fan, but I got some weird ones. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have people who follow you all around? Not, no, not really. I, I just, you're, you might be the biggest, but you're not the weirdest. Hmm. So okay. you need to. Yeah. You'll be sorry you said you that need, now you because you know what I mean. Real. I know. Not anymore. <laughs> who, is the, who is the weirdest? Oh, man. Like. Someone you can guarantee they're listening to this if they're your fan, weirdest fans. No, just you know, like some someone who gets a little too close and sends shares a little bit too much and uh, wants you to braid their hair. Yeah, hmm. yeah, braid their hair. Mm-hmm. Or paint their face. How did you learn to paint someone's face anyway? I got some brushes and some paint. You just experimented. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was squatting in a FEMA trailer when I was first here in New Orleans, and I was making uh, painting faces on the street for money. Jesus Christ! How did you find an empty FEMA trailer? Uh, friends of friends who had just moved out of it and it was getting ready to get hauled away and I needed a place and so they let me cruise in there. Wow, there weren't too many people who were trying to get into a FEMA trailer back then. Mm. I was trying to find an affordable way to yeah, be to here. stay here. Yeah. Where do you live now? In the Bywater? I do. Jonathan, where do you live? I don't have a place yet. I'm actually staying oh, you just with got someone back. in Bywater. I got back a month ago. So okay. I've been here. Are you looking teaching. for a place? I am, yeah. I've been uh, teaching yoga and getting some money together. And uh, So you're a yoga teacher as well. You're an Iyengar yoga teacher, I believe. Uh, that's incorrect, correct, yeah. So yeah. where are you teaching yoga? Yoga Bywater right now, which is actually a studio I, I co-started with the person that runs it now. And, uh, and 
right 2001 I think we started that studio so it's interesting to be back teaching I took four years off of teaching so it's really fun to be back do you do yoga every day yourself here in practice yeah now I do yeah when I was at school it was a little, getting a little tough there but uh, but now I'm back to it which I love. so you left here to go back to California to go back to school to study how to write an opera well I already written two operas so I wasn't exactly studying how to opera uh, how to write opera I I I'm interested in music so I, I don't really know what else to say. It's a little bit of a perversion, the amount of that I'm into it. But it, it drove me back into school to actually study music more. And uh, one of the th- reasons that I was there, one of the teachers happened to be a, a very uh, prominent sort of avant-garde opera composer, modern. And I wanted to know, I went in really to look at newer techniques, things that, you know, I mean, New Orleans is a beautiful place, a fantastic place, but it's very hard to find things that have progressed past 1935 here. Mm-hmm. Um, so and uh, we love 19 we love that era which is great and actually I, I love the fact that when I moved here I loved it because Fats Domino was still current events and I'm happy with that but at the same time even his people play through amplifiers <laughs> but you're pushing you're pushing the envelope with your own work in all sorts of ways though from I mean from starting yeah. a klezmer band in New Orleans for Christ's sake yeah to, to the stuff you've done, the more experimental stuff and the Naked Orchestra and, and, yeah. and writing opera and staging the opera at the Maroney Opera House there. And yeah. I mean, you're doing your bit to push the envelope, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, music is like... I, I, I really believe in it. You know, I believe in artwork and, and I believe in looking at it all. It's not even a belief. It's just confirmedly as music's one of those devices that we have for understanding our environment better. And uh, Are you trying to change things through music? Sure. I try to do everything with music, you know, whatever. Well, I right? change the world, I mean, change the environment. Yeah, sure, I do. I think it's important for that. You know, there's, there's a lot of cynicism now about that. You're not supposed to do that, or music isn't that powerful, but I'll tell you that for sure that all those people are entirely wrong. Anybody who's afraid of it as a political tool, even as a tool for changing all kinds of things, I mean, they even use it now to work out what the sun is made out of. I mean, if you talk to wicked physicists now, so if you want to tell me the music or sound itself well, sound, isn't that right. powerful, is, 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 this is a madness. And uh, so I really back music. I, I'm, I'm a promoter. I'm a backer. And, and, and I even now I, I interview musicians. That's another thing I do, like, like you. Yes, you have this great, on your podcast, website, there's yeah, a great sure. podcast. Yeah, very sure. insightful interviews with musicians. Yeah, yeah in order to, in order, because I feel like there, there's a somewhat of a, tr- we've, we've, well, it's great that you're doing this, because otherwise, if, if we don't do it this way, then the, the promotion has made everybody generic, actually, you know. So mm-hmm. you actually have to ask follow-up questions and get down to people and find out, you know, yeah, what's going what, on with Marie and Russell. Yeah, and that's Andrew what we're trying to do on the show. But you're yeah. doing the same thing with the interview. The musician interviews are really, are really great. Yeah, it's, thanks. it's like a real oral history stuff you're doing. It's important thanks. work. Mm-hmm. Thanks. So where do we find them? Just to and we have a oh, link on our website too. But it's I have a Johnson. Well, JohnsonFrelick dot com, but uh, the, and the, there's the interviews page there. But it's also a podcast on iTunes. Uh, uh, What's which it is called? Just a, it's interviews with uh, with prominent with interesting New Orleans. Music. Is that what the podcast is called? No, I can't remember. <laughs> 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 that's a, that's a mouthful. The name Marie thing. can help you come something up with something about more New succinct and catchy. Just brand yourself. Just brand yourself. I'm really bad at that. Uh, so that's probably the And reason. your name is difficult to spell as well. It's F-R-I-E-I-L-I. Okay, there L-I-C-H. You go. You're right. It's a very uncommon F-R-E-I-L-I-C-H. name. F-R-E-I-L-I-C-H. And yeah. it's pronounced Freilich, which is interesting. Yeah. Too. It's so I, I really have to... Yeah, I, I'm doing my service to accidentally not dumbing everything down. Uh <laughs> But uh, but if you show me how, I'm happy to make it as dumb as possible. What an awesome collection of people we got around the table here today. Pretty happening, wouldn't you say? 
we have to get out of here exactly now. But, Russell, I didn't really want to leave without trying to ask you at least something about the lot, about where it is, because you shot the movie. And, um, by the way, Jonathan, thank you. Oh, thank you. I, I meant to say that well, was beautiful. That was great. You wrote that. No, I didn't. That's a very old what? song. That's uh, from a Hollywood movie, actually. But nice. uh, that's mm. a odd, it's odd. Uh, when did you leave heaven? It's a movie. Yeah. It's know, called When Did You Leave Heaven. Yeah, yeah. But, oh. it, but a lot of people have done it. It's a very fun, fun little song. Louis Armstrong, or Charles Brown, or, or uh, Johnny Guitar Watson. It's, there's some famous versions out there. That, that's by, I guess that's closest to the way Bill, Big Bill Brunsey used to do it. A lot of that was nice. Thanks. Yeah, but but nice, we've nice. we got to get out of here. So anyway, tell us, Russell, the lot. You made the movie, and so what's holding it up? Why isn't it? Why aren't we seeing it? What do we need? Uh, we're in post-production right now, so we're just editing, and then we're going to be getting into uh, color correction, sound design, and then doing uh, musical composition. So hopefully uh, around the holidays, maybe January, we'll be done. We'll get to see the movie. Yeah, we could tell our little story about a guy trying to turn a blighted lot into a park, and what. We'll what the narrative film we made about it's based on that story where of course the park didn't work out seven years ago but what our film's about is just getting out there and doing something and trying to make a difference and it's the relationships that are formed along the way because it doesn't matter if you build a park if you open a business it's you're going to interact with people you're going to make a difference by doing something and that's really what we're trying to get out there in the community is uh Look, on, look around your block, see what's on your own block. If you have an empty lot, if you have a tree that needs watering, if you have some trash that needs being picked up, and uh, if you have an old lady who needs groceries being carried in, it's by doing something and interacting. It's the relationships that are formed, and that's, uh, that's what our film tries to really convey. Okay. Very nice indeed. Mm. Marie, have any final words you'd like to leave us with? Yeah, I actually story? have an offer that I wanted to make for the digital storytelling workshop that's coming up. We still have um, we still have a few spots left, and so um, anybody that is interested in taking it Wednesday through Friday, October 15th, 16th, and 17th, will give $250 off to the first three people who sign up. If you mentioned that you heard about it on this program, you say you heard it on Happy Hour, and then let's just get this absolutely clear. This is October fifteenth, sixteenth, and seventeenth. Yep. Two thousand fourteen. Two thousand fourteen. If you happen to be weeks. listening to this show in two thousand fifteen or beyond, you missed the deadline. Right. Whoops. Right. But if you do get it in time, <laughs> if you do get it in time, how do we find you? You can go to storycenter.org and then go to the workshops, and you'll find it there. It's the Savoy Story Series. Storycenter.org. Okay. And you have to use the word happy hour and you get $250 off. So how much is the actual price? It sounds expensive. It's, it's up there, but, uh, okay. you know, well, we we'll think let people that the value that is innumerable. Okay, invaluable, priceless. Yes. Otherwise, we can see you at the Renaissance Fair or Festival right inside the gate. I'm braiding some hair. First person on the right inside the And at the Reds, Whites, and Blues uh, wine tasting uh, on Wednesday. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank that you was so Marie much. Lovejoy. Russell Blanchard has been with us as well, as long as well as Jonathan Fraley has joined Andrew and I today on Happy Hour. That is it. It's all over. Our show is produced by Graham DuPonte, our associate producer and technical director is Chris Kehoe. Christian Unruh is our music director and Joshua Brown is our music coordinator. The theme that you're currently listening to is being played by and was written by Mitch Foreman. The fabulous audio quality of this show is brought to you in part by PreSonus Audio Electronics. If you'd like to be on the show and you can sit around a table for about an hour, drop us a line. Our address is on our website where you can also see many other happy hour shows as well as some of the other shows we make on itsneworleans.com. Out to lunch with Peter Raschuti live from Commander's Palace Mindset. 
with psychiatrist Dr. Nick Pajic. True to the game with Chris True. Midnight Menu Plus One with Margot Moss and the man who ate New Orleans, Ray Canada, and Louisiana Eats with Poppy Tucker. You can keep up with us on Facebook and Twitter and a bunch of other time-sucking social media or anti-social media, as Jonathan put it, which is an excellent term. On all of it, we're called It's New Orleans. You can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and on our Facebook page. These photos were taken by the fabulous Douglas Engel, who's standing right here in those big glasses. If you listen to this show on iTunes, Stitcher, Swell, or some other podcast app that you like better, thank you for subscribing to us. Please do this. Stop everything. Take a moment to rate and review us. That helps other people find us. It really does. Our show was recorded live today at Wayfair on Ferret Street, where they put fine dining into a sandwich and fine booze into a glass. Happy Hour is a production of ILO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com. For Andrew Duhon, for Graham DuPonte, everyone back at INO and around the table here at Wayfair. I'm Grant Morris. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you back here next time on Happy Hour.